Welcome to La Corner, La Source's digital show dedicated to the sport and entertainment industry. Every two weeks, we invite a professional to share their experience, background, and challenges. The sport industry moves fast, and having their insights is the best way to keep up to speed. Welcome to La Corner. Welcome to another episode of The Corner. Today, we are pleased to receive Barry Flanagan, Chief Strategy Officer at Aurora Media Worldwide. Aurora Media is a fully integrated content agency. They develop, produce, and distribute original content for international rights holders, broadcasters, and brands, amongst which Super League Triathlon or Extreme Inc. With Barry, who has over 20 years of experience in digital media, he discussed initiatives he has led at Copa90 and Aurora Media. I hope you will enjoy this episode, and don't hesitate if there are other topics you would like us to discuss. Barry Flanagan, nice to see you here. Yeah, really great to be here, Samuel. Thanks for inviting me on. Our pleasure, our pleasure. I, um, first, before we deep dive into all those very nice sports topics that we're going to get into, can you introduce yourself briefly to our community? Sure. So, um, hi, everyone. I'm Barry. Uh, I am Scottish born and bred, coming from Glasgow, and I've been working in sport, media, technology, and digital for a long time now, more than 20 years, and uh, specializing in marketing, strategy, content, and audience development. Very pleased to talk about these topics today. Terrific. And so what was your journey journey before joining Aurora for a bit of background of those 20 long years in the sports industry? Sure. Well, I, I, it's interesting. Most of my career, I've been working with digital content, but I don't actually come from a traditional content background. I come from a technology background uh, going way back. So I did a, a PhD in engineering and started my journey early on in my career working on some and building some of the high-speed data infrastructure that, that powered the first wave of internet growth and the dot-com boom. Uh, but I found I was much more interested um, increasingly in the business and marketing and audience side of the emerging digital industry. Um, so that took me into working for sort of media and telecoms companies. And the, the first part of my career was more with bigger uh, corporate media companies, so AOL and Time Warner, News Corp, et cetera. And that was a great grounding in just understanding how media works. Um, but the latter half of my career, uh, I um, specialized more in working with disruptive, uh, more entrepreneurial businesses and building startups. And I think that's where my true love um, really is. Um, yeah. So I was uh, one of the founding team at uh, Brave Bison, which became the biggest social video network outside the US. I was on the, the management team at Copa90 um, for six years, which we, we grew to be a very large, influential um, football media business. And then... More recently, I've joined Aurora Media that works with some really innovative rights owners, brands, and streaming platforms around the world. Interesting. And before before hitting the, all those topics, uh, another uh, topic that you're advising on and an investor in is FICA Mental Fitness. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit more before we dive on into the more business aspect of the conversation? Yeah, I'm really pleased and proud to be helping the team at, at, at FICA. Um, I've known the founders there, Nick Bennett and Gareth Fryer. Um, for many years, they're they're excellent, uh, creative entrepreneurs. Um, the, the whole company is is founded around the topic of mental fitness, and what that means is the the, the belief that 
it's as important to train for the mental challenges that we encounter in life as it is for the physical challenges that we encounter. And when you take a step back and think about it, there's a vast amount of time, energy, money that's spent on the physical fitness industry um, in part to help um, uh, like counteract against decline in physical fitness. When it comes to mental well-being, uh, there's more and more focus, uh, rightly, around um, some of the, the the aspects of poor mental health and poor mental well-being. But there's much less focus upstream, if you like, yeah. on um, actually the concept of training yourself to be mentally fit. And that's what FICA focuses on. Uh, they're building a, an app platform and a technology platform underpinned by science and data and technology um, and that platform enables uh, organizations to put uh, mental education and mental fitness programs um, in place for their communities and yeah. to help improve the mental fitness of their communities. So they're, they're working with more than 70 clients, including um, the National Health Service in the UK, uh, higher education institutions, large enterprises like DFS. So, so yeah. So are, it's, they working, are they working in sports at all? Because it, it is starting to be a big topic and there are quite a few startups in this space that are trying to grow about the mental fitness, because as you rightfully said, there, there's so much that's being done about the athletic one. And for a long time, the whole mental aspect was kind of, we were undereducated, I would say on it. It was kind of yeah. like, be a man about it and go out there. Like we know that it's a lot different. And with the, all the topics, right, especially in the women's tennis with the former uh, number one that just, you know, uh, said she would stop her career because she just didn't have it anymore. And, you know, all yeah. the Absolutely, and it's a really it's a really interesting question. So, so it, the answer is that there's lots of interesting discussions that the team there are having in the sports space, and they also work with um, sports athletes as ambassadors. And I think the concept of mental fitness is actually um, much more prevalent at elite sports. So most elite sports and athletes would have trained psychologists that are are yeah. working with the stars. But I, th I think. And that sort of broader sort of mass participation and, and mass market space, um, it, it's much less prevalent. So I think there's some really interesting opportunities around rolling out um, that capability and those sort of education programs um, at, at a more grassroots level to yep. accompany sports. But yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like sports has led the way in the concept of mental fitness and physical fitness going together. Yep. Uh, that's something that's actually applicable much more broadly across society. Yep. So yeah, it's a fascinating space. Really pleased to be supporting the team there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an incredible one. I was just talking about it with some teammates yesterday about how uh, the penalty kicks was just all a mental game versus a you know physical and a. Oh, interesting. And, and as a as a as a former very poor Sunday League football player, <laughs> um, I have missed many many penalties that I know it was all in my head rather than my my feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Um, uh, great. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's a topic all by itself, but um, I think that the one we wanted to address was more around the content. And I think that you've been working in that space of user generated content for a long while. And as you, as you rightfully said, one of the big elements and what, um, one of the big moments in your career was being one of the founding members of Copa 90. Uh, can you give just a bit of context to anyone who might not be as familiar uh, with Copa 90 as they should, uh, just because it's something that every, everybody has seen Copa 90 content, but maybe not everybody knows about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so Copa 90 started as a, a sort of humble YouTube channel um, way back in, in 2012. And, um, but it, it, it grew, has grown to become one of the most influential um, businesses in, 
in football media. And the, the, the essence of the company was and still very much is it's, it, it covers the world of fan culture. So it's the, um, it, it's the, the moments that really matter to fans. And it, you would go to traditional media and football to find out the scores, the stats, the team lineups. And you come to COP90 to understand how you feel about it. So it's that emotional connection with the game. You know, heroing the characters and telling their stories—that's that's what what, what Copper brilliantly focuses on, um, and has has we we, we certainly sh- showed with that model that you could build. A lot of people said you couldn't build a football media business without showing any football, without having rights. But in actual fact, it's all of that culture around the game that actually makes the game matter that much more to fans. That's that's what Copper um, very much focuses on. And, and interestingly, now big organizations are actually very keen and are looking to internalize a lot of that content creation that's user generated based. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, and, and, and they're looking at this as valuable rights just because the fan passion is something that's very attractive, not only for the organizations, broadcasters and clubs, but also for the sponsors, which is a lot of the essence of the money that those big organizations put uh, inside the sports. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it, it's um, it, it, it's fascinating because it's also we, we live in an age where fans um, are incredibly creative. So um, like fans are creators in their own right and the ability to create content that's really innovative and funny and engaging, etc., is, is now sort of democratized, if you like. It doesn't belong just to professional production companies. And I think that that's what's really interesting around that that concept of creator communities. And we certainly um, doubled down on that at COP90. And we used um, the fact that our fans were creators to to actually harness that and bring them along with us to major tournaments like the Euros and the World Cup. And um, yeah. we, that, that became an, a really important part of our content output. It was that storytelling that was coming from the fans themselves. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And, and to be honest, now it's pretty relevant to anyone because we're in, a, in, you know, in the TikTok age, I would say, where everybody's filming themselves and that everybody understands that that's the content that's being the most consumed by the younger generations, right? Yeah. But in 2012, it really wasn't the case. It was all about inc- increasing the quality of the image and the extra camera angle at the venue that was you know, the big wow effect for the big organizations. Whereas uh, the angle of Copa 90 was actually to offer more raw content because it was more emotional, personal, and immersive. Exactly that, and and I think anybody who's been to a football match and been in the in the ground when a goal scored and that that feeling you have of actually being there and sort of you know the roar of the crowd and and the emotion and um that that those are the moments that really kind of make the game what it is, and I think we we found that that you could harness that and um enable the the flow of that content and and from a sort of workflow perspective to come back really quickly into Copa ninety that we could then publish um and yeah and exactly and it's it, it's it's almost like the the gif and the memes and the pictures of fans around a goal have become as important in some cases more important than the actual clip of the goal itself and yeah. th- these are the moments that blow up on on social media um so yeah it's, it's it's really interesting how the industry as you say has sort of moved in that direction so you know you know have very large big traditional organizations actually trying to harness that type of content yeah 100% and actually just one of the premises of that was uh, the work you guys did around FIFA World Cup 2018 so yeah. explain to us a little bit what was like what was the output? How did you put together a team that could go and get that type of content 
and organize it in a way that you created the very appealing pieces of content that you did around that event? Yeah, so we, so we had our um, sort of, I guess I'd call it more traditional production resource that were there, our producers and shooters and editors, and we, we had a hub in, in Moscow um, that uh, we actually turned our production hub in Moscow into a fan venue in its own right, the, the Copa 90 Clubhouse, and that became a venue for fans to come along and watch the game, and we would sort of DJs and sort of parties down there as well. Um, but yeah, an important element beyond our own production team was um, to, uh, we, we created a creator network, which um, was sort of an invite only um, group of uh, fans around the world, some of whom were in Russia at the games, yep. uh, some of whom importantly weren't in Russia and they were watching the games back home in the fan parks or the bars or in their yep. homes. And, and and what that meant is that that flow of content that was shot on a mobile phone that yep. was coming from our fan creators really complemented the more traditional um, sort of production output that we, that our own crews were making. So for example, and I don't know if you remember back that crazy end to the group stages when Germany Germany went out and Mexico went through and it was so yep. unprecedented that Germany would go out that early. So yep. the, we had, um, I think it was in the half hour that it all kind of flipped and changed. We had our creator in Berlin, our creator in Mexico City, our creators that were in the ground just capturing the agony and the ecstasy yep. of, of those moments. So we, we could harness all of that and publish that quickly on our own social channels and then that could be used um, to cut into... And some of the the, the 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 less instant but the more longer form content and shows that we were creating as well. So yeah. I think it's that it's that complement of the UGC with more traditional production. That's what I'm really interested in. And and that's at, at Aurora, that's something that we're really working with quite a few clients on now, is that yeah. that blend of the two, if you like. It's not one or the other. It's like how the two actually work together is really interesting. Yeah, it's funny. And it's also one of that one of those topics that is very prominent um, at broadcasters and in the different organizations is the mix of what is considered linear format content and digital format content. At the end of the day, it's just content to be used and to tell stories in different ways according to the platforms, but there's not really only one stream. But before go get, getting in, into those details of what you are doing at Aurora's chief strategy officer, uh, so it was literally a workflow where you went out there, found your key influencers, what was it? A, a WhatsApp group that you guys created, shared the videos on there, and then reused it on social yeah, media. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And it was built on built on a workflow um, actually that we first used in the Euros in 2016, and we partnered with Greenfly, um, the the app platform around that. So it was a combination of WhatsApp groups to communicate with the the creators and you know make sure they're in the right place at the right time, and um, and then uh, an app platform uh, in in the case of Greenfly that allowed us to quickly. Um, manage the content that was coming back around the world, and that 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 aspect of um, being able to organise the content is is actually really important when it's major tournament activation like that because there's so much of it, and what yeah. you don't want to be doing is trying to scrabble around with, um, you know, trying to find the right clip that's sitting on a on a WhatsApp group somewhere, etc. So I think the, the there's a a fast and loose element which is how to communicate with the creators quickly and in a way that they would naturally understand, but combined with 
yeah. perhaps the more boring but important topic of asset management and tagging and meta yeah. and just yeah. enabling, yeah. enabling the content to be used properly. Mm-hmm. And that that really the, the combination of those two things come into their their own at major tournaments when there are there's so much content, so many games, so many different um, stories that are being told. And I think um, yeah, we, we we really honed the model. Um, and it was hugely successful. I mean, that that content, you know, delivered millions yeah. and millions of views and engagement. I was going to say, either way, for our community, we'll share a little link to the the type of videos that you guys created because it was definitely very um, exciting content. Uh, and 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 the whole workflow of of being innovative at a very low cost, ultimately, because it's much cheaper than any production means that anybody would have to consider put to put in place to be able to capture that type of content is something that's very powerful. Yeah. Um, but so, and so you were saying, so as your next step, moving to the Aurora, t- Aurora topic, so you're the chief strategy officer over there. You gave us a little premise of what you were doing over there, but what, what do you do as a chief strategy officer in an organization like Aurora? Sure. So, so Aurora. For those that don't know, we're a, a, one of the world's leading content agencies. We um, we specialize in the production around live, premium, global sporting action and adventure events, um, and we make everything from you know we're, we're host broadcasting and live production all the way through to digital and social and shoulder programming. So, as as chief strategy officer, I. I wear three hats, I guess is the right way to put it. So so number one, I, I lead the business development activity for the company, which means I work uh, with new clients and new organizations and I help bring them in um, to Aurora. Uh, and I also work with existing clients and help upsell them to additional services and solutions. And, and we work with three main um, parts of the industry, rights owners and federations like Formula E, Extreme E, Super League Triathlon. Um, brands that are looking to activate around those events. Uh, so we work with Jaguar, McLaren, Bosch, Tag, etc. Um, and then thirdly, the broadcasters and streaming platforms that are taking the content that we're producing. Um, and sometimes it's purely distribution relationship there. Sometimes it's um, we work on commission. So we're starting to create more and more original content on commission for broadcaster and streamer platforms. Um, so yeah, Hat number one is I lead the business development activity. My, my second hat is that I help deliver content strategy and yep. solutions for our clients. So I help them figure out what type of content to make for their audiences. And then thirdly, I, I help develop the internal strategy of the company. So I look at um, investment opportunities, partnership opportunities for Aurora, and also working, we're part of all three media. Um, so I uh, help look at opportunities across the all three media group. Um, to work with other parts of the organization. So yeah, it's it, it keeps me busy. It's an interesting role. <laughs> I, I certainly know it keeps you busy. It's a for the low <laughs> career. It's a podcast we were supposed to have a few months ago, but uh, but but here we are and finally made it after you coming back from a road trip in Saudi Arabia last yeah, Absolutely. Um, Glad that we finally got the date. <laughs> um, yeah. So so I mean, uh, I think the business development side is not something that's the most appealing to the audience in terms of explaining the, just the hustle to go, go get more and more um, contracts. I think one, one thing that's super interesting is um, Extreme E and Formula E. Those are Formula E not so recent now, but Extreme E is still pretty recent. So they're recent type of organizations that are really um, looking at sports in a new angle, uh, building their whole strategy, infrastructure, everything on a new stack of technology and on the new concepts of uh, 
what uh, the younger audiences are looking for. Um, and to get at the second, you know, second uh, pillar of your uh, of your mission over there, which is the strategic aspect on in terms of content and in terms of proprietary platforms versus social media platforms, what are the big trends that you are seeing from your angle uh, running strategy uh, of content for those types of organizations? Yeah, it's yeah, that, that's a broad topic. Um, the I think it's really important to our model and to the, the the type of clients that we work with, like Extreme E and Formula E and others, that before you point a camera anywhere, before you send a production crew anywhere, there's a lot of work that we do around strategy, audience insights, understanding different audiences and different segmentation of audiences and what platforms they use and where they're likely to be. Um, and and so we, we, we effectively, what we're doing with clients like that is we're developing formats rather than simply providing coverage. So it's no longer enough just to simply film a live sport and hand it over and get have it go out on a broadcaster or a, or a streaming platform. Um, you, you have to understand different audiences' behavior and different types of content. So we spend a lot of time in the, the the sort of upfront strategy and then translating that into editorial topics and an editorial schedule. So the type of things that we want to talk about married to the type of platforms that we want to the content to be distributed on. And um, that that piece of the whole um element of what we do is absolutely crucial. And to to answer your point about proprietary platforms versus social media, it, it really it's it's not one or the other yeah it's understanding how do you use both in a complementary manner um that moves um people from being perhaps passive viewers of a sport into active fans of a sport and um you, you can't you know a brand cannot lock stuff away on a proprietary platform and ignore social media because that's where the audience is and you need to create yeah. elements of your content that travel out to where fans are and where they're likely to be engaging with it um and the type of content that works on um social media platforms has to take into account the algorithms of those platforms what's likely to work what's you know what what's going to work in tiktok is going to be very different to what works on youtube or facebook etc and um, but then equally um i think it's really important for sports organizations not to just build what they're doing on social media and yep. to find ways to more deeply engage fans in their own environment and their own proprietary platforms and that's for a whole host of reasons one of which is i think it's important for any sports organization to own um, an element of their own data um and to have a direct connection with their yeah. fans i think i think just j- jumping off that particular remark and we can go back to the rest but that's exactly the example of barcelona and spotify right like in terms yeah. of the size of the deals and uh, you know uh, barcelona claiming 500 million uh fans and actually having a Apparently, and that those are just uh, numbers from you know public uh, publications, but um, yeah. around having only around one million qualified uh, users on their platforms, which is massively different when we're looking at entertainment industries that require good knowledge of the users to be in control. Exactly, exactly, and you know that that particular case has been written about a lot and 
you know, it's a little bit like Samuel, if you, if I tell you I'm really popular because I've got 500 friends and then you ask me to name them and I can't give you them, <laughs> I, can only, I can only give you the names of three people. You might conclude, well, maybe you're not as popular as you think, but, yeah. but yeah, the, the point being that it's really important, um, to use social media to build reach and engagement and, and, and convert viewers into fans but then to find the right appropriate ways that add value to the fan relationship by bringing them into your own environment. So for some organizations, that would be the whole you know, extreme of their own streaming platforms and their own OTT platforms. That's not, not necessarily right for every um, sports brand, but, um, but equally the, the, there are many other ways to, to bring um, fans into a direct relationship and to, to drive data capture it's yeah. not data capture just for the sake of it, not just to spam people with emails. It's more to understand who your fans are and to therefore develop appropriate experiences and opportunities um, for those fans. And yeah, so I think that, that the, the organizations that are doing it the best are have an instinctive understanding of how to use social media, yeah. um, a, a great understanding of how to use live broadcast, the core sort of central pillar of the sport, but also have a really good understanding of how to engage fans with, through a direct relationship um, and yeah. underpinned by first-party data. Yeah. So, it's yeah. Like there's, yeah, there's that constant top of the funnel, ultimately, on social media that you just have to keep activating because the eyeballs are there and because you're, you're going to get uh, generic traction that you're not going to get on yeah. your proprietary platform. But there has to be that strategy uh, coming down to the proprietary platform to capture first party data and I kind of know your audience. So yeah. I guess to simplify it, it would probably be that, but from your spectrum do the extreme ease of this world that formula E actually think about that top of the funnel on social media through their athletes, through their teams. Very, through their very, very definitely. Very definitely. And, and I think it's in, in some ways it, it's, it's, it's even more important for sports properties that are, emerging or building brands like Extreme E been, been a really good case in point. It's and you know, they just completed a really successful first season. We're now into the the second season with them. So if you're trying to build not just build a sport, but build a brand, um really understanding that top of the funnel um and the type of content that's likely to engage there is hugely important. And and something you touched on there, Samuel, which I, is is crucial to that type of content is it's the, the, it, it's connecting fans or potential fans with the characters involved with the the human stories around yeah. the sport not just the sporting action so um you know introducing or connecting people with the drivers and with the teams and with the behind the scenes and it, it, it's it's very much that type of content that builds a fan culture alongside the actual sporting action and going back to, to what i was saying about my copper 90 days again that it's It's the combination of the action on the pitch or on the racetrack with all of that type of content that is off the track or off the pitch. That That's what builds a fan base. Yeah. And that's the type of content that will work very well at the top of the funnel. Um, so I think, yeah, we, we spend a lot of time just um, developing character-driven stories, if you like, yeah. um, alongside making sure that the sporting action is, is, um, is excellent and is entertaining as well. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess the notion of starification of certain athletes in sport is not that new, but it's the the whole concept of understanding and feeling like you know that person behind the scenes that definitely has a lot of power uh, yeah. for the younger generations. Exactly, exactly, and and you know like this has become 
I think that sort of thinking a few years ago was maybe uh, not so prevalent in the sports industry, but it's now just become mainstream thinking. I think everybody looks at things like Drive to Survive, for example, yeah. Formula One and the, the 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 huge success that that's had in bringing new people into the sport. And how has it done that? It's done it by connecting people with characters and connecting people with human stories, which then makes them interested on the action on the track. And and I think you, you're starting to see that being replicated across lots of different sports now. Yeah, yeah. I know that Formula One didn't catch my attention quite yet, but uh, American football, the NFL, got, got me yeah. through all or nothing and those types of programs where, yeah, it's that whole understanding that suddenly makes you want to follow a player or team and that gets your interest. Exactly. I mean, I, I, you know, not to be too philosophical about it, but at the end of the day, we're all human beings and we like to connect and understand other, other humans. So I think in sport, it's really important to 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 tell these stories of the characters involved because that's yeah. what connects people with the sport more deeply. Yeah, yeah. And in general, what I what, what we like doing is, you know, taking clear examples of initiatives that our, you know, our, our uh, guests have... Um, have put in place in their organization. So can you tell us more a little bit? So let's take Formula E. Uh, one of your programs with them was called Unplugged. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about what that, what that initiative was and how you, know, like how you project management uh, pro project managed it from beginning to end? Sure. So um, I, I certainly won't take credit for, for all the great work that we're, we're doing with Unplugged, but we have a, a brilliant team that works with the brilliant team in Formula E that that puts that together. But, you know, we've been privileged to be host broadcaster for Formula E since its inception in 2014, I think it was. So we've been working with them across eight seasons now and more than 80 races around the world. And the, so the sport itself has grown and become bigger and bigger and reaches a huge um, global audience now on broadcast and digital, more than half a billion. So, so in terms of top of the funnel, as we were saying, It, it, you know, hugely successful in, in, in reaching a, a big audience. And, and then what's become um, increasingly important is, as we were just discussing, it's been able to connect um, fans with the characters that are involved in the sport beyond the action on the track. And um, that's where we've been creating shoulder programming and additional content alongside the actual live broadcasts. And one of the initiatives is, is Unplugged, which is a, Uh, an unfiltered all-access documentary series built for for digital takes viewers behind the scenes of the sport. So um, we we did the, the first season of it uh, last season. It's a sort of honest and unflinching look at the characters that are involved, the drivers, the teams, the principals, the engineers, and it really sort of brings to life um, from a behind-the-scenes perspective the agony and the ecstasy of the sport, yeah. um, the winners and the losers. So that that that's been. Um, really successful in, in in helping to build out the characters around the sport, and now we're working with them on the the second season of Unplugged, which um, I, I think will have even more um, stories that occur beyond the track and off the track, and um, you know elements that really help fans get to know the characters involved. Yep, super interesting, and just in that global context, right? Because as Aurora, you're working very closely with those organizations, and you're obviously delivering much more than content, right? You're delivering strategy, you're delivering the means to actually do the capture or partnering up with the right organizations in order to do that. Um, our audience is very tech-centric and a lot of entrepreneurs. What would make an Aurora 
use a new piece of software or use new you know methods of capture automated production how do you catch the eye of an aura uh type of uh partner in the industry uh as a tech startup that that's a great question um so i think it's probably across two levels so there's one of them is more mundane and one of them is more exciting so the the, the more mundane um part of things is is around efficiency and operational efficiency and workflows does 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 the um, technology partner and the vendor enable us to do what we do faster, smarter, better, um, lower cost, etc.? So we, we, we're always looking for ways to increase the efficiency of the production, um, and certainly cloud-based production and sort of remote or hybrid cloud production is a, is a great example of where um, things become more possible and more efficient by being in the cloud. And um, the second sort of more creative element is is we look for technology partners where the technology can lift and enhance the storytelling so it's not about using tech for the sake of tech and the content that we make it's very much about what what can we do with this technology that enhances the story that we're trying to bring to viewers so a great example where we've been leading the way really in in with clients like extreme ease around ar and vr and building that into the live broadcast. So using um, augmented reality um, to enhance what the viewer is seeing, to bring them deeper into the sport that they're actually watching uh, on a live basis. And and particularly that's really important in motorsport where the, the, the characters are locked away in a car behind a helmet. So all these elements yeah. of, of, of AR that can lift what you're seeing on screen and give more information that actually more deeply engages the audience at home. Um, that's really important. VR is is, is fascinating as well, and, and sort of mixed reality. But but VR, we're creating virtual worlds that enhance the action. Um, another client we work with, Super League Triathlon, is doing some incredible things there around their arena games, where through a partnership with Zwift, it's um, real world athletes in a real world location. Um, the 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 run and the um, the bike leg of the triathlon is done. Um, on Zwift-enabled machines so that the athletes are created in the virtual world of Zwift and then they do the, the, the real-world swim leg. So bringing that sort of virtual world so that you can see the athletes competing through their avatars um, and then bringing that into the live broadcast in the real world and showing the athletes then kind of jumping in the pool. It, it's yep. fascinating. It's like how you sort of cross the virtual world and the real world and it just becomes a seamless part of the sporting action um i think that's really really th- things like that i think really really fascinate me but again going back to the core point the vendors involved understand how that technology can lift the storytelling that you're trying to do that's the key point yeah. but i think that that's great you know food for thought because in general you know as a startup everybody goes after the big organizations and the big names which don't necessarily have as much room to innovate yeah. they have uh, they have room to deploy validated innovation right when it's not really at the point of innovation but it's actually the smaller organizations and looking at what different organizations do i'll take another example about super league triathlon just the fact of mixing men and women yeah. in their team is yeah. something that's incredibly yeah. powerful right and there's i know there's more coming uh on their end in terms of innovation just like being creative and not only not only in the in the sense of 
purchasing innovation, but in the sense of just being creative in the way of thinking and what works yeah, and what absolutely. not and what people are looking for. Yeah, and it's like, it's like the, you know, the, the creativity that comes from um, any startup, I think, certainly in my career across different industry sectors, yeah. not just sport. Um, but when you're a startup, you have to think in very disruptive ways that enables you to gain attention and grow your company and grow your brand. And I think in, in sports, that's really prevalent with these new emerging sports, the, the, the thinking in non-traditional ways. And, and a lot of the thinking comes from uh, sort of adjacent passion points that the audience are interested in, particularly the worlds of gaming and entertainment. And you're seeing techniques that are coming from gaming and coming from entertainment being brought into the sporting action. And again, going back to something we were talking about earlier, that what's really fascinating with these new emerging sporting um, formats is that they can create formats from scratch. They can, they can create formats with these yeah. elements in mind where the technology forms part of the thinking of how the sport works rather than trying to squeeze the technology into a format that yep. already exists and is not going to change. Mm -hmm. And yeah, when that, and that opens up a, lots of interesting possibilities for tech vendors, I think, to become part of the sporting format, not just a supplier. Yep. Um, and just because we're almost at time here, one last uh, big question is, so over the last years, you, you guys have won quite a, a, a variety of awards, going from best sports production to agency of the year. What would you say differentiates Aurora from all the, <clears throat> sorry, from all the other agencies out there? Like, what is your key, your unique va value? Yeah, I think I think it's some of the things we've actually touched on. Really, I think I'd probably say th three elements. Firstly, um, we we don't just provide coverage; we're providing format development. We're helping people build their brands. So it's our ability to work in partnership with our clients to. Um, achieve what they're trying to do as a brand and to build that thinking into the way that the um, the sport is covered and the content is produced. I think that that's a key element to what we do. We don't just turn up and point the cameras and go away again. Um, I think secondly, as we've touched on, it's our sort of create, it, we, I like to, to describe it as we combine the art and the science of storytelling. So it's our ability to use innovative technology in ways that continually um, help us to be more creative in the stories that we tell. And that's something that, that we constantly have to stay in front of because the industry is evolving so rapidly, but whether it's AR or VR or data insights or, um, you know, whatever elements, you know, the advances in drone filming, for example, we stay in front or at the forefront of these technology innovations that then always is, is we bring back into our creatives that enhances the way they tell the stories. And then thirdly, I think it's really important to the company that we um, that we encourage d diversity of intake and thinking into the company. So um, it's not just a company that is full of people from a traditional production background or a traditional sports TV background. Um, we, we have a lot of um, different backgrounds in the company. It's something that we're, is really important to us that we encourage um, uh, a really diverse intake into um, not just our company, but into our industry as well. And I think that diversity of, of um, background leads to diversity of creative thinking. And all of that just means that, that the content that we create is that can be that much better. So I think that's a really important element of what we do as well. Nice, nice. Um, I'm going to steal the, the sentence, combine art and science. I, I, I don't know how to use it for myself quite yet, but it made <laughs> you you know, sound very smart. Yeah, I moment. hope it doesn't sound pretentious. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you you described it as, as smart but um but yeah 
it's a phrase <laughs> I use a lot, as my team will attest. <laughs> nice. Um, and to conclude, one last thing, we'd like to have our guests uh, recommend, you know, a series, a movie, a book they read, watched recently. Is there anything you would like to suggest well, to our I'll, audience? Um, on that subject of storytelling, which I've talked about a lot, I'll, I'll recommend a, a book. Um, it's been out for a few years now, but by Yuval Harari, who's a historian and philosopher, and it's the history of Homo sapiens. And it is a brilliant, brilliant book that um, goes back over 200,000 years of human history. And it, it really sort of explains how storytelling, the ability to tell stories and connect with stories is probably the most fundamental human um, trait of all and has led to us achieving the great things we've achieved as a species. And I, and I love that. I love the book. I'd recommend it to anybody. And I love the fact that I work in an industry that's basically about the power of storytelling. So that that is one of my favorite books I can recommend. Nice. Well, it's rare. It's one of the things I have to pass on a lot. Uh, the, I used to read much more than I do now, but that's one of the ones I read and I would definitely recommend it to. Great. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll share that as a link alongside the, the, the video content that you guys had done and, um, that you had done at Copa 90. Uh, I think, a super great elements to, to take a look at. Um, Barry, thanks a lot for your time. I think it, it was super, super interesting. I think a lot of takeaways for our audience. No, that's been fantastic Much to, appreciate. to talk to you. I'm glad we finally got that date in the diary to do it and yeah, really enjoyed it. So thank you for having me on. Terrific. Thanks a lot, Barry. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoy it as much as we love creating them. If you like the episode, feel free to comment, rate, and share with people around you. You can visit our website, www.lastsource.io, to learn more about our activities. You will discover a wide range of articles and can subscribe to our newsletter to receive the latest tech and sports news in your mailbox every month. Stay tuned for new episodes. Le Corner.